Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. You know, guys, we've been journeying through the Gospel of Luke. We're in what we've been calling an earth walk. We've been looking at the earthly life of Jesus Christ as he has been teaching, and he's been on the road, especially in this section. We're calling it the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's really focusing on this section of Luke. It's the last week of Jesus' life as he goes to the cross and as he will be crucified, buried, and raised again from the dead. We've been looking at his teaching and what he's been, what's been happening in his life. And we've noticed in this section, especially in chapter 20 and 21, that he's been in the t- temple teaching. And if you remember, somebody as he was teaching was remarking about how wonderful the temple looked and, and showing it off to Jesus. And Jesus said basically to them that there's going to be a day when not one stone will be here, that everything will be torn down. And so they want to know what's happening. And so for the last few weeks... We've been looking at what Jesus has been saying about what will happen in the future. Now, if you remember, Jesus started off by saying that it's all not going to happen at one time. And then he went right into what life is going to be like right now. And that's what we looked at right now. We need to have a perspective of the reality of now. That wars, natural disasters, fearful things, all of that is normal. Persecution is normal for right now. And that we need to grasp that. Now he's going to get into, we're going to look now at chapter 21, verses 20 through 28, where he's going to make some statements to the Jerusalem folks there, what's going to happen with them immediately in their future, and then he's going to shift to what's going to happen in the future. Now as we get into that, I want to have us have a perspective today as we look at Luke's gospel here. Two points I want to make to you as we look at this passage. The first point is this. We need to focus on the bigger picture. We need to focus on the bigger picture. Because we live in an age today where we can get so wrapped up in prophecy, and and you might be here and you have studied a lot of prophecy, and so you've got your theology down, you've got your perspective down, and so as any message you hear, you're immediately going to say, you're leaving something out. You're leaving something out. And I'm going to admit to you right now, Yes, I am leaving some things out. As we go through this passage, I'm going to leave some things out. Now, can I tell you why I'm going to leave some things out? Because Jesus leaves them out. We're going through this verse by verse, looking at what Jesus says. So he's got a purpose in why he's communicating the things that he's communicating in this passage. He's not communicating everything here. Do you understand? In fact, I'm going to tell you this right now. If you go through any of the books of the New Testament, none of them are exhaustive concerning what's going to happen. Does everybody understand that? Will we acknowledge that? And so you can miss the bigger picture by being distracted. Well, doesn't Paul say this over here? Yeah, Paul says that. We're looking at what Jesus said here in the Gospel of Luke. So we want to have a bigger picture here. Do you understand what I'm saying? We want to look at what Jesus says. So we want to have the bigger picture of what's going on. What does Jesus want us to say? What is the writer Luke, as he's writing this, wanting you and I to see as we're going through the Gospel of Luke? So that's the first thing. The second thing you need to understand, and this is what we've got to grasp, is that prophecy 
gives us a partial picture. Prophecy gives us a partial picture. Now, what do you mean by that, George? Well, what I want you to understand is, is that we have a lot of prophetic passages. We have an understanding of what's going to take place in the future. But I want you to not come to a place where you think you know everything that's going to happen. Because the reality is, is you don't. How can you say that, George? Well, all you have to do is read through the book of Revelation, and you'll see the Apostle John sees things, and he is commanded forthright not to write them down, not to, not to record what he hears. So there are things that even you and I, as far as what's going to take place in the future, we don't know. We say, George, I don't know that that's biblical. Well, let me just remind you of something. I want you to put yourself in the place of the listeners of, of the folks who are listening to Jesus as he's getting ready to speak. Remember, they're all anticipating the Messiah. Every one of them is anticipating a Messiah who's going to what? Overthrow the Romans. They've read the Old Testament Scriptures. They've read everything that is to say about the Old Testament Scriptures. And to them, the Messiah is a conquering hero. He's going to come overthrow the Romans and and establish Israel as a nation again. And it's going to be great and wonderful for Israel. Were they wrong? No, they weren't wrong. But they were only partial in their understanding. What do you mean by that, George? Because they forgot something. That the very same passages in Isaiah that portrayed him as a conquering king also portrayed him, especially in Isaiah 53, that he would be a suffering Messiah. They overlooked the passages that talked about his suffering for them. That he would die for them. That he would go through such brutality. So what you and I need to understand is, is that even, even when you read through the New Testament and you see the scriptures and you read the writer say, and this was fulfilled, like for instance concerning the 30 pieces of silver or the betrayal and everything. At the time when they were written, when David wrote those Psalms and everything, people did not understand them to be prophecies. It's only later that we understood. So what I want to say to you is, is that we have to be careful about being dogmatic. Why? Because prophecy is only partial. Now, let me just stop for a moment. You say, well, I don't know if I agree with you, George. Well, let me just stop for a minute. I want you to understand something. Here's the truth. Jesus Christ is coming back bodily. Now, notice I use the word bodily, because there are some out there who say that he's already come back, or he came back in A.D. 70. He didn't come back in A.D. 70. Jesus hasn't come back yet, period. But he is coming back bodily. When he comes back, we're going to see exactly what he says, what it's going to be like when he comes back, as far as how the world's going to react. He's going to come back. That's non-negotiable. Do you understand me? He's coming back to rule for a thousand years. Bottom line. So let's look at what he says. Look with me at verse 20 to 24. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant, and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon the people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and on the earth. 
distress of the nations and perplexity, and the seas and the waves roaring, and men's hearts failing them from fear, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. Here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to basically take this passage of Scripture. We're going to divide it into two sections here. We're going to see, first of all, the time of the Gentiles. We're going to see that in verses 20 to 24. That's a perspective that kind of reflects we're kind of on this end of what's going on, although we're still in the midst of it. And then we're going to look at the issue of his coming, which is verse 25 to 28. So let's talk about the time of the Gentiles. The first thing Jesus wants to tell them, it's prophetic for them, but we already know that some of it has already happened right now. He's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. So the first thing we're going to see is, is that Jerusalem will be dominated by Gentiles. Even when Jesus is speaking here, I'll just be honest with you, Jerusalem is dominated by Gentiles, but it's not completely dominated. It's not desolate. What does it mean by desolate? Well, it's talking about the temple being desolate, which we know would take place. We assume that this is A.D. 33, if you use the late date for Jesus' death, that in just 37 years, the Romans would come, surround Jerusalem, lay siege to it. It would be a terrible siege. Not only would they have to deal with starvation and famine in the city, they would have to deal with, history tells us, with their own factions within the city fighting among themselves and killing themselves because they wanted to be in control. But then ultimately, Rome, under Titus, would take Jerusalem and then he would lay waste to it. And here's what they did. They were so tired of the Jews and their rebellion that they basically, are you listening to me, destroyed the city, laid it down so that one stone would not be upon the other. They ripped down the temple, down to its mount. And to make sure that nobody would inhabit it, this is what the Romans would do. They would spread salt over the fields so that nothing would grow there. That's how terrible the Roman vengeance was. And since that time on, Rome has basically, not just Rome, but Gentiles have dominated Jerusalem since that time on. In fact, isn't that in our news today? In our news today, the Jews want to make Jerusalem, all of Jerusalem, their what? Their capital. Is that possible? Is that happening? No. Because the Gentiles still what? Dominate. So what Jesus is going to say to them, which would blow them away, because in their minds, they have the temple. It's one of the eight wonders of the world. They, even though the Romans are there, their, their, their hope is that the Messiah will come and throw them out. And here's the guy that they think is the Messiah. And he's telling them, guys, the Gentiles are going to come. They're going to destroy this place. And this place will be dominated by them. Now you think about what they're thinking as they're listening. to Here's the other thing he says. Israel will be dispersed among the nations. First of all, it's already happened. We know that with the destruction of the northern kingdom by the Assyrians... The northern kingdom and the Jews of the ten tribes were then dispersed among the Assyrian Empire. When Babylon came and conquered the southern kingdom, which was Judah and Benjamin, he then, Nebuchadnezzar, then had those nations, those Israelites dispersed. We knew that they were dispersed and continued to be dispersed throughout the world. 
But yet with the destruction of the temple, that kind of ensured that there would be no Jewish nation again and that throughout the world would be Jews. And we know that to be true. Did you know that when we launched into Afghanistan war, there were, I think, like only two or three Jews in Afghanistan at that point? You would think, why in the world are they there? They're dispersed throughout the world, folks. They're everywhere. And so he's letting them know that Israel will be dispersed among the nations. But here's what else he says. This is what you and I need to grasp. This will take place until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Now, how long is this domination going to take place? How long is it going to happen until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled? Now, you say, what do you mean the time of the Gentiles? Well, Jesus is saying that all of this is going to take place, all of this is going to happen right before he comes until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. When will that be, George? Well, I can't give you an exact date, so don't listen to some dude who does. But I can tell you some evidences of what Jesus told us in the Scripture. What do you mean? In Mark, in the same discourse, chapter 13, verse 10, Luke doesn't include it in his passage when Jesus does this very same teaching. But here's what he says. And the gospel must first be preached to every nation. Every nation. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 9, 10, 11, that... There's a partial hardening of Israel, and we see that now because not all Israel accepts Jesus as the Messiah, until the fullness of the Gentile. Now, what does that mean, the fullness? Is that the same thing as the full, that the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled? Well, the actual, the word fullness means full number of the Gentiles. What Paul's talking about is that the, the hardening of Israel's heart towards the Messiah will happen until the last Gentile is saved. So again, there's, Jesus saying until every gospel is preached and every every and their nation, can I be honest with you, it's not like we think of borders, it's it's the word ethne, ethnicities, people groups. Now do you realize today, how many of you knew this? I've told you this before, that there are over five thousand people groups in the world who've yet to hear the gospel. Did you know that? So before you start looking at what's happening around in our country today and you're thinking Jesus is coming back soon. There are 5,000 groups who have yet to hear. Here's the other one. I'll throw this at you. Most of them are Muslim. Most of the people groups that have yet to be reached in the world are Muslim. That's an interesting. Whose job is it to bring them the gospel? Can I ask that? It's our job. But if you listen to Christian radio or listen to preachers or if you listen to everything, you would almost think that the Muslims are... Public enemy number one. And yes, Muslim terrorists are public enemy number one. But not every Muslim is a terrorist. And God is calling the Muslims to faith. But who's got to be the one to share the message with them? Is it angels? No, it's human beings, Christians, to share the gospel. Isn't that how you got saved? I mean, if, you, if an angel led you to Jesus, could you please come talk to me later? We'll, we'll get you help because that's not possible. The vehicle or the message of the gospel are human beings. But I, can I be honest with you? You know, the greatest tactic that Satan could do to keep people deceived from getting the gospel is to keep people from going to them. And sometimes maybe our patriotism gets in the way of our duty as believers to share. Because there are over 5,000 groups yet to hear. 
And Jesus is saying that all these things, the domination of Jerusalem, is going to take place until the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled. When will that be? I think when the last Gentile gets saved, whoever that is or whatever that number is. We also know that the scripture says it will take place when the last martyr happens. What's that number, George? I don't know what that number is, just like I don't know how many people need to get saved. But Jesus does. That's something for us to understand. That's happening right now. But then Jesus turns his attention, because he wants us to see the bigger picture here. Hopefully we're getting a bigger picture. That you and I have a responsibility to share the gospel, the message of good news. He turns his attention now to his coming. So here's what he says. And again, he's going to use general statements. I'm not going to get specific. But they're general statements describing the events of the future. And so you need to grasp what's going on here. Look with me. First of all, verse 25 and 26. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on earth, distress of nations with perplexity, and seas and waves roaring, and men's heart failing them from fear and expectation of those things which are coming on the earth and powers of heavens will be shaken. What's he talking about here? first thing he tells us is, is that the world will experience tribulation. We know that. Before Jesus Christ will come, we know from other scriptures that there will be, what? A tribulational period, seven years, of the worst things that will ever happen. And just from what Jesus is describing here about things happening in the skies, things happening, distresses upon the nation, the fear of men at that time... All of those things we know from the book of Revelation happened during when? The tribulational period. So he's telling us that there's going to be this period the world will experience tribulation. Then notice what he says, verse 27. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. That's talking about his second coming here. It's what I want you to see. The world will see Jesus come in power and glory. We know from other scriptures, I think from Revelation, I think it's chapter 19, that it says very clearly that when Jesus comes in the air with the armies, with the host of heaven, with the saints, that the world will see him. And here's the response of the world. Are they going to be happy when Jesus comes back? No. They're going to mourn. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're going to be upset. They're not going to be happy that the king is coming. Now, you're going to be happy, right? First of all, you're going to be with him. But when he comes, there's going to be great mourning. Men will tremble because the king is coming. The king is coming. The world will see him as he comes in power. See, here's the thing. Sometimes I think that we, we believe in his literal coming. We believe that there's going to be this tribulation. He's going to come after the tribulation. He's going to establish the millennium. But I think for a lot of us, we're practical, can I say it, amillennialists? What do you mean by that, George? What's an amillennialist? Well, an amillennialist is, is somebody who doesn't believe in a thousand-year rule of Jesus. He believes in the coming. 
He believes that there is eternity, but he doesn't believe that Jesus is going to come back and establish a thousand-year rule because, in a, in a sense, he believes that the church is going to usher in the kingdom, usher in Jesus coming back, that things are going to get better. Well, you know, when I read the Bible, things aren't going to get better. But for most of us, I think we're not, we may be theologically millennialists, premillennialists, but practically, we're amillennialists. What do you mean by that, George? Well, we may believe the right thing, but we live like everything's going to get better. But we know better, don't we? We know that the world's not going to get better, that morality's going to go down the tubes, that everything's going to get rotten. Do we not understand that? We believe one thing with our head and our hearts, but practically the way we live, we think that everything's going to get better, but it's not. The only way that things are going to get better is when somebody comes back. Who's that, folks? Jesus. And trust me, when he comes back, the world's not going to be happy. And notice what he says here. See, And you've got to be thinking, man, what are they thinking? Because they think he's coming now in power and glory to overthrow the Romans. But he's letting them know that all these terrible things are going to happen. And then he's going to come in the clouds in power and glory. That's what they were expecting then. But Jesus is saying it's good yet to come. When he comes, he's not coming like he did the first time riding on a donkey. He's coming to rule, to establish. So he goes on then and he kind of wraps it all up. Because again, he's just giving us some brief things for us to look to, to understand. So what, what, let's go through those brief things real quick here. What is he saying here? We've already seen them happen. Jerusalem's going to be dominated. It's being dominated right now. Jews are going to be dispersed. We've already seen that. They're everywhere. They're here. They're here. Here. How many of you have been to what was the synagogue here in Clearfield? Have anybody inside of that? I've been inside of it. Did you know there was a synagogue at one time in Clearfield? Yeah. Yeah. They're everywhere. Even in the wilds of Pennsylvania. Do you understand? So we're going to see that they're dispersed. And what the reality is, is that it's all going to happen until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. What? As we know from other places. For the nations have all heard the gospel. To the full number of believers happen. And Jesus says when it happens, when that time happens, there will be tribulation, and then I'll come. Here's what you need to understand. Here's what you want you to see. Look with me. Verse 28. This is what we have to hold on to. Now when these things begin, look, notice the word there, begin to happen. Don't you think it's already begun? Yeah, it's begun. So this is, he's telling them when they begin to happen, because they're looking forward to it in the future. We already know these things have happened. The domination of Jerusalem. So, okay, look at what he says there. When these things begin, look up and lift up your heads. Your redemption draws nigh. What's he talking about? Here's the point. Look at the events of today with hope. Look at the events of today with hope. You know, I, I've been here recently advocating that we need to quit listening to 
being so fixated on Fox News or CNN News or any news that you watch all the time, 24 hours a day, because if you see the world as purple, it's always going to be purple. But here's one instance where, where you can look at the news and it can result, not in a negative sense, but hopefully, no matter what you read about what's happening in the Middle East, No matter what you think as you're looking at what's happening in the country, no matter what you think about what's happening all around you in the world today, you can look at all of those events and not be negative about it. You can look at it with what? Hope. Why? Because I think this is what we're forgetting. We're moving to the great climax. We're moving to what we all hopefully long for. Jesus is coming back. There lies our redemption. Did you understand what I'm saying? There lies our hope. Yeah, it's terrible right now. Yeah, life is tough. But if you're holding on with your faith, you know that there's something more out there. There's something coming. And we've got to hold on. Our redemption draws nigh. We need to wait and trust. That's the point Jesus is making here. That's the bigger picture. Don't get all wrapped up in all the details of it. I've been trying to get wrapped up in it for 2,000 years. Some people get so wrapped up in it, they go nuts. What do you mean they go nuts? Eventually they end up making predictions. You know, as a believer now for 28 years, the road's filled with people who've made predictions. The issue is, is what are you looking for? Don't get comfortable here. Our redemption is later. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like we're on a trip. How many of you like, I'm going to be getting ready to go on vacation here. And, uh, we're getting ready to go on a long trip. We had somebody invite us up to, to a friend of mine invited us to go stay at their farm on Prince Edward Island. We're like, where's that? Well, you ever heard of Anna Green Gables, ladies? It's in Canada. It's on an island. So we're going to go there. I'm only interested in eating lobster. I don't really care about Anna Green Gables, okay? Okay? Well, anyhow... Uh, and it's going to be a long road trip. Do you know what I'm saying? How many of you have been on a long road trip with your family? And Dad's got a got an iron bladder, so he can go forever. He's got to make the next flip. But nobody else has an iron bladder. Do you know what I mean? And it's like you stop one time, an hour later you got to stop again. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, Dad's, you know, and you're like, we got to get to the hotel, you know. But you notice what it's like after the vacation? You ever notice you don't take your time going home? And you're driving through all those construction zones. And you got one hope. Your bed at home. With your blankie and your pillow. You know what I mean? And you're just longing for it. Have you been cramped in this van? And, and yeah, you've seen some nice sights, but it's time to go home. 
And yeah, we're going through the upteenth number of construction site. And yeah, we're going to this place with a dirty bathroom. And, and yeah, the food's not been great. But we've got a hope that a home's coming. That's the picture, guys. It's a rough road. But our redemption is drawing nigh. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.